0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast.
1: When people talk about shipping being driven by strong characters, they tend to mean people like Robert Bugby, The bullish president of Scorpio Tankers is something of a divisive figure on Wall Street, but he's never anything less than engaging. How many other shipping executives can lay claim to having their own parody account on Twitter? while Lloyd's List consistently took a negative view of the tanker recovery mr bugby was the cheerleader in chief and of course he has ultimately eventually been proved right the good times for tanker markets that mr bugby confidently asserted were just around the corner at nearly every quarterly investor call since at least 2017 have finally arrived Clarkson's securities this week somewhat incredulously claimed that if all the stars aligned, as any good optimist would naturally assume them to happen, LR2 earnings might theoretically reach $250,000 a day. So, it was of course inevitably time to hit the hotline to the man himself and get the Robert Bugby view on life, the universe, and everything. And why he would need a lobotomy before getting serious about ordering alternative fuel chips. I was joined for this week's conversation by our resident tanker supremo and shipping executive botherer-in-chief, Michelle Vesey-Bochman. And if you didn't get around to reading her interview with the man himself last month, do make sure you follow the links in the show notes. It's well worth your time, but not before you've listened to this conversation first. So what exactly is it that keeps one of the industry's most bullish optimists awake at night?
0: Well, I have sleepless nights. I have sleepless nights during those periods where, you know, in the short term, you have events that are totally against the industry. I mean, the, you know, what I'm optimistic about is that that the industry itself goes through these cycles. Now there's a lot of pain. I mean, I was, you know, told very early in my career that for every 10 years that's out there, you know, seven of them are going to be terrible. But one will be average, but the other two will make up for everything, and that's pretty much how it's been. So, w- what keeps me awake at night are those periods where, um, you know, like, like in the beginning of uh, of COVID twenty twenty, when um, at this point, look, I was not. And up optimistic at that point when we had that contango trade when the contango ripped upwards, that's danger. You know, I was selling out, you know, PA as much tanker stocks as I could because there, that was a very false, non-fundamental, scary place to be. And in terms of the company, you were just waiting for this wave just to crash on top of you. And, you know, however long it was going to take to sort the mess out a first finding a some kind of vaccine for COVID and second, how long it would take for the fundamentals to grind through. Um, The other thing that keeps me up at night is uh, actually good markets, because I've learned in a perverse way, I'm, let's say, less stressed in a bad market than I am in a good market. Because in a it, because you you know one of the most stressful times to me was the was the 2000s once it became apparent in 2004 five and we started to buy as much of OMI stock back as we could because we could see that we were in a very strong underlying um, economic market it was. Once we got into two thousand and seven, and that wave is building, and ultimately, for whatever reason that we did not foresee the, you know, Lehman Brothers, we didn't foresee the world crisis. But um, you know, if it, it, if I could give you a little story on, on the actual sale, you, you, mm. you would the decision making there, you you would understand what happened. So market's moving up and up and up and up and the stock price had got to a point um, with great return on everybody but basically you needed around $75,000 a day every day for you know, the, the remaining life of all of our Series Max tankers and something like 50000 a day for every day for the remaining life of our MR tankers. That's not really realistic, especially when yard capacity had grown so much. So I think that when we dis- decided, dis- looked in the board as to whether or not to sell the, the company or not, one of the advisors to the independent directors, one of the directors said, look, uh, things are going great you know how do we know this is the right point to sell you know is this the right time to sell? shouldn't we wait a little bit wait longer, etc one of the independent advisors didn't he said, well I could stand up and give you a fifty page presentation on why this is a good time to sell but let's look at it this way. I don't know whether it's quarter past eleven, whether it's ten past you know, midnight, whether it's quarter to midnight, but I sure as hell know that it's after half past eleven, and that's kind of generally good enough. So, the the worry of the, of great markets is that it's how long can you ride the wave for? Mm. Because you know you know historically that when you when that wave buckles over. It's like watching those films where someone falls from a massive wave and just gets pummeled, churned up by, by the wave at the bottom. So that's what keeps you up at night. And I'm doing much more checking now into what I think is, is happening, what I think could happen, what I think could be the variables than I would be doing in, the, in a really, really bad market.
1: Where do you think we are now, and you know how far along are we with the wave? And what what are you looking out for? What are those variables? What
0: are you looking out for? So if I looked at it the negative, the, the opposite way, mm. so if I if I put my sort of oh my god, what do I need to be afraid of? You know the, the fear part is it's can this get too good? And it's literally get too good, Kenny, because there are cases out there that. You could just have enormous rates coming into you know into the winter and exiting the winter this year, depending a lot on the, what happens with with Europe and Russia, if Europe ban Russian um, exports of products, if the world economy still somehow holds together, combined with the new environment you know the new environmental regulations coming next year that at least they're going to start to have a great slowdown on older ships and there's nothing coming in i mean once we get to november there's really no deliveries coming in for for a little while you know the people just don't take the delivery of the ships at the end of the year and the product mark product vessels will go one period so here it's is there's some crazy thing out there? That means that um, you know, Europe just has to take diesel at whatever cost from anywhere, for example. And so we get a rate expansion because the market already must be fairly well utilised. We Must already be in the 90s for where the rates are now. And then that actually cracks things. So rather than a recession, could we have a depression? because recessions aren't really there to be f- I don't think there's much fear in a recession too much fear you know you know that you're going to have some headline top headline demand you know that the you know the 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 average lengths of recessions are you know less than 2 years the you know that going into this recession it's not like even the two, 2008 where you had banks in trouble going in the balance sheets of of, of banks, the balance sheets of companies out there. Uh, I'm not talking shipping, but companies and big big companies in general are fairly good. Um, so therefore, a recession will hit the head top top line level. I don't think we have to worry too much in the product market because inventories are so low. The rates may come down, but it it is it, not we're not looking at rates down into 7 8 a day for MRs or you know, 9 a day for for LR2s it'll mean that shareholders make less money
1: yeah there, there was a report from Clarkson Securities this week that that said you know if all the planets align that rates for LR2s that's long range 2 tankers that are capable of holding about 80,000 tonnes of refined product, that rates for, for those particular vessel types could go as high as $250,000 per day. What do you think of, of, of those sorts of forecasts? Is that a possibility?
0: Um, unfortunately, in shipping, at the, at the two ends of the curve, we, 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 we always have to have the, there is the, there's the possibility of extraordinarily high rates Mm. And there's the black swan event that you net, or, or the event that you can never foresee, um, at the other end, which makes them just as bad. So I think that the it, I don't spend much time at those two ends. Um, we we haven't we haven't been very good, or or, or I haven't been very good playing. What can go wrong in the last, you know, twenty, thirty years? I mean, we didn't predict um, Saddam Hussein going into Kuwait. We didn't predict the Asian currency crisis. We didn't predict September the eleventh. You know, all of these things that really kill a market, you can't can't predict. What they were talking about is is. I think the actual rate headline itself is, of course, very dramatic. It's probably going to get a lot of people on conference calls for them. And, you know, it, it, it's it's nice and showy. But what they were saying is behind it is reasonably sensible. That the market at the moment is has a very high utilisation. And if we get into winter and certain things happen, then the rates could could rocket very, very high. I mean, we've already seen rates of you know, odd fixtures of plus 100,000 in, in LRTs. Now, I think they talked about, and I would agree, a couple of events that could lead to to a, a market that's quite sort of stressed to to the upside would be the United States banning exports of products. That would be, you know, wow. I mean, you wouldn't want that on the world's economy. Mm. You you kind of hope that the politicians, because that would be awful, because they can, you know, Biden can make an edict and say the US will not be exporting products, but it can't stop South America's demand or West Mm. Africa's demand. And those two areas would have to take product from a huge distance away to to do that. Same for that matter from, you know, probably California would be quite interesting for them too. But the the other one would be um, we're not really sure what would happen if Europe really goes through with its ban or potential ban on Russian product. Because again, they're going to have to take it so far away, in what is a very normally a very strong period of the year. Anyway, you know, the, if they were doing that in the summer or the autumn, maybe it wouldn't have such a a, a deep effect. But you know, trying to pick a number two fifty, so what? I mean, it, it, it's it's high enough anyway. If it's if it's a hundred.
1: You seem to be suggesting that you're a little circumspect about the prospects of the EU and Russia embargoes. Do you? How much is politics and how much is reality in your view, in terms of what is going to happen in the market? Well,
0: now you're getting very philosophical. Is politics ever reality? So the the, the question here is 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 if you take the first one, there is a lot of pressure on Biden coming into these autumn elections. In its simplistic state, the country, the United States, could simply go, why are we sending those people our gasoline or our diesel? Why aren't we keeping that in our own country to lower our own prices? It makes very good political headlines, not necessarily economic sense. The European position of we're going to cut um all russian imports of crude and all russian imports of products okay we have to see that we have to see whether they go through with that when at the point where that is pain because they gave a long lead time remember so it's almost like well Here we are, Putin. If you don't behave better, this will happen in the future. Now we're coming to that point. We will actually see whether or not they will go through with that. Because it may not harm him very much.
1: And in the meantime, what's the situation as far as you're concerned with self-sanctioning. What what is politically banned and what is, you know, the behavior in the market are two entirely different things and we're seeing very different attitudes from different ends of the market. Speaking right now, where where do you stand on on carrying Russian oil?
0: Well, I think the company and the group stands, you know, 100% not to, um, you know, break any sanctions. So we've spent years you know, 100% obeying, you know, not trading to Cuba and not trading to Iran. We've been very, very, you know, disciplined on that. And um, that hasn't been always the case. But
1: you are lifting lifting Russian diesel at the moment.
0: Yes, we've been lifting Russian diesel at the moment. That's what I'm trying to say If, if the governments sanction a position, we will abide to that. A hundred percent a hundred percent we will do that you know, it's more it's it's what do you you have to assume that the that the government's doing this for a reason, so therefore uh, you know you, you should you, you know you, the the safest policy is to follow that policy government is saying well, we may not be able to arm um, ukraine or or help Ukraine. If everything was banned anyway right now, because our own populations could be in a massive stress, so i don't I don't think it's a question I don't think that, that you're playing God in that way, and there are many different ways that you know, we're not going to d- discuss where the group um, helps helps the actual people in that sense. You know, not necessarily so much in the public companies, but on the private side, we have the ability to support whatever charities or whatever positions we wish to
1: one of the questions I want to ask I mean you know a decade ago you were one of the the vocal voices pushing the concept of an eco ship, uh, and you know you you use that term now, distinguishing between older tonnage and, and so called eco ships and what's interesting now is the before we even get to the concept of uh, you know alternative fuels you've got a much more complex array of efficiency savings out there from uh, you know ai to muse ducts and, and 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 various other things the concept of an eco ship is no longer simple it's it's not a sort of singular thing and i'm just wondering how you view this immediate transition are we, are we going to get a, a a sort of a multi-tiered industry where it's not simply a question of age there are large owners that are applying efficiency measures to markets like this and that is going to have an impact or or is it still that distinction between new and old that you, you see is it is it that basic
0: i think that if you try to move first in new technology and things you generally get punished mm. so if i were to uh, to 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 think of it purely on economics you would you would delay it. There's obviously a value on what we learned through the period and being a first mover. But I think the first thing on the ship to look at when that question new and old is there is a, a, a fairly interesting cutoff date that around 2012-13, these vessels from that point that were delivered from 2013 were, had more efficient engines and consumed less fuel. Hmm. compared to the vessels that were built before that period. That tons per day is a very big advantage. Very, you start off straight out of the gate with a very strong advantage on whatever type of vessel you have, just simply on the engine consumption. After that, you are adding other things. Whether it's a you know amused duct, whether it's paints, whether it's any of the other things, but that is the thing that gives you the engine itself is the thing that gives you the most um, tons per day saving in terms of fuel. Um, I think that then you have good owners and you know not so good owners. There's some very good owners out there who do spend a lot of effort on weather routing, AI, the way they deal with things, the way they operate things, and they really care, and they've really got a crew that has bought into this, and now they're starting to save on the margin. So give them an equal chip or equal consumption to somebody else, and they're going to be better on their carbon footprint. But very hard still to catch up on the other side, which is why I start by saying, The most probable thing that at least will happen in the next phase is that the older tonnage will have to slow down because that's the way you take the the headlines off. I mean, you, you can say all you want. You can say, oh, it's great. I do all this effort. I do the AI. We're really, really involved in this. We clean the hull all the time. We've really engaged in our crew and, you know, we save two tons a day. And the other guy goes, yeah, well, great. I, I, I save seven and I don't do any of your stuff. So I'm net five better off next.
1: Yeah. OK. So, I mean, from your perspective, I'm guessing that economically there's, the, the proactive choices around fuel are, if not irrelevant, then certainly more led by. The specific dates of implementation on regulation, so EXI, CII coming in, yes. they are the, they are the events that we should be looking out for in terms of market impact.
0: At this point, yes, for for, for the present, all of us, I think it's an extraordinary time. Look, I'm I'm definitely not a technical person. Um, I'm not that interested in, I didn't learn to get my driving license. I'm 34. I'm not that interested in engines or technology or whatever. But all my life, I've been surrounded by brilliant technical people. And all my life, I've noticed that those technical people, every single one of them, when they're like thinking by themselves or in are in the bath or whatever, they dream about the ship they would buy if they were allowed to order. If they were allowed to, they dream about the one that they would design and order and how it would be. And we sit down now with a bunch of technical people and now they'll just argue about what the propulsion is going to be for the next in the next phase. We don't know what the correct propulsion is going to be. Plus, we have shipyards that are full up. So for the immediate future, we are dealing with the fleet we have and the regulations that are coming. And it will take a while, once we've worked out what the propulsion is, for the orders to go into the shipyards to make any meaningful difference in the actual new fleet
1: itself. I mean, what would it take for you to start think, thinking seriously about investing in tonnage with a so-called alternative fuel? Uh, you know, something that I, we, at this stage we're not. You know, those those brilliant technical people that are around you, they 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 know full well. Uh, you know, the designs that theoretically could be ordered. We're not ordering them as an industry because. The politics, the regulation, the physical infrastructure doesn't exist yet. But we're not really having technical arguments at the moment. We're having regulatory and infrastructure arguments. And and that's the point. So at what point do you start being interested in this as an actual decision?
0: The moment I'd need a lobotomy. (laughs) I mean, having been, you know, too early. In a in a in a previous move. Now I actually had all of my career. I've been fortunate enough to be in the first movers. I mean, way back, Godas was, you know, one of the first companies to embrace, you know, double hull, for example, and and you know the, the same in, in 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 OMI. I'm not saying the only company, just one of those. And then, obviously, Sting led, you know, the you know it's one of the big leaders in the in the eco vessel. And you would love to be that leader, but right now, you're just not going to get paid for it because it isn't decided what is going to be the fuel for the future yet. That's where the technical argument is, is that it's not really, you know, universally accepted as to what that's going to, to be. Some people argue strongly, but we don't know, and science now that lots of dollars are going towards science, there's every chance that in the next year or two years somebody's going to come up with, you know, an incredible solution somewhere. But right now, your your industry, you know, if we take Scorpio tankers, Scorpio tankers have been under the gun. We expanded with the hope, with the expectation that there would be significant changes in refineries that would lead to an expansion in ton miles that would lead to a great return to investments on our shareholders. For one reason or another, that was delayed. And then just as it was starting to, to happen last time, COVID came and smashed everything. It is happening right now, but we have to provide a return on our shareholders for the potential and backing that we've done. That the mathematics right now are such that you're you, were, you were going to go and order a new ship for 2005, six delivery. No, the math right now would be to say that if you wanted to buy a ship, you would expand, you would buy a ship for five years, you know, five years old to 10 years old. In our particular case, you know, we have a huge fleet. We don't need any additional ships right now. We would be much better off at this point. Now I'm going deep into the, let's say, strategic thing. We'd be much better at this point in driving what we're doing, increasing liquidity, reducing debt, buying back stock opportunities, if we driving the stock place up, up, putting the giving great shareholder return and putting the company in a great position in the future to then do what would be the best thing at that point, whether it's selling the company, returning all the cash to shareholders or using whatever it's doing then to do that next step, to look to that new future in a more certain environment for that future.
1: And on that note, we are going to leave it for another week. My thanks to Robert for getting up at the crack of dawn to talk to me and Michelle, and my thanks to you as ever for listening. Have a good week. We will be back again next Friday with more.